You fat. I'm muscle. Oh, look at my little bill. He's a little Hercules. Show me muscle again. Oh, Hercules, 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 Hercules. Your metabolism starts to speed up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Target of the Party. Uh, we are short one Daniel Rudis this week because he had a baby. I'm assuming I can talk about that because he wanted to keep it on the down low until the baby came out. They wanted to make sure he didn't have no flipper feet or anything like that. So uh, everyone can uh, uh, congratulate Daniel and his wife, Kelsey, on the birth of their kid, John. He's new to the world. He's super cool. So uh, Daniel's off... Uh, breastfeeding or something like that. I don't know how that stuff works. So in his stead, this week we've got Friend of the Podcast, which some people may have just heard like two episodes ago, talking with us about the Pacific Northwest Ballet's production of The Nutcracker. Uh, this week we have Dylan McConus <laughs> sitting in for Dil- uh, for Daniel Lewis. My, do- my dog is here also, yeah. so you might you might hear my rescue dog, Teddy, uh, put in a cameo in the background. Especially if he gets hungry. Well, he's nibbling on a what? Like, it's a little, like, wax hedgehog right now? No, it's, it's, a, it's for cleaning his teeth. Well, what's it made out of? I don't... <laughs> but it's funny that he tore the head off, and then he's like, I'm done. But then, yeah. No, it's a dental chew. It's like if your toothbrush was shaped like a hedgehog and you ate it every night. Actually, that sounds kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so those are our two, technically our two special guest stars this week. Yeah. Uh, and also this week we're talking about, actually, when the, I should have looked this up to see exactly when this came out, but we are talking about, because I had never really seen it in its entirety before, but Disney's 1997 production of Hercules. 27th of June. What? Yeah. I thought, I was looking up on a Wikipedia and they said it came out in December. You are blowing your mic right now. <laughs> Well, now we can't use that. Welcome to the Tardy of the Party. Holy sh... Okay, well, so it's 20th and a half anniversary right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why I chose it. Because, I, I mean, I knew it wasn't, like, within, like... We weren't, like, recording on the day, but I thought at least the general month. It looks like they closed out the box office on the 21st of December of 97. That Oh, that's exactly probably what the reporting was. Because I was so like, oh, December 1997. It's the anniversary... It's, it's we're just past the anniversary of the closing of Hercules Theatrical So this is, like, release. a morning thing of, like, ah, oh, Hercules, you're too good for this world literally and figuratively because that's like kind of what the themes of the movie oh, are oh it's topical but it's a topical it's, goof it's also great that we have dylan here to talk about this with me because the first time i'd seen any of this movie was like 10 years ago probably we went more. up like we went up to seattle for i can't remember what we were even in seattle for but we stayed at your folks place yep and seattle you, native yeah you and we, like we yeah we both live in portland oregon and um in your basement, you still had your collection from you when you were a kid of Disney VHS cassettes. Oh yeah, I have the edition of The Little Mermaid that has uh, one of the the sea oh. castle towers in the background. Yeah. Is is uh, 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 it's a f- organ familiar to about fifty percent of you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. Do you still have that? Do you oh, have yeah, all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Because yep, yep, yep. yeah, your your parents' basement, I assume, is like kind of land at the time. You yeah, know, we we no longer have a VCR player, but I still have all of my Disney VHS. Cassettes. Yeah, because it was the white plastic clad clamshell. You know, blah yep. blah blah. Mm-hmm. That's why I also first saw Toy Story two for the first time. Yep. Disney Disney Home Video uh, Library. <sighs> but no, we we had watched part of it. I've seen bits and pieces of Disney's Hercules, but never had sat down and watched the whole thing, which we did right before we started recording. And so I thought, what the hell? Well, this and you've, is... you've watched uh, Lindsay Ellis's excellent. Analysis I think I watched that passing with you a while ago, and I can't remember anything she said about it other than she was like, "This movie's not totally terrible." 
It could have just been better if you made a couple tweaks there. It's a there. really fun, hot mess. Yeah, and it's kind of pretty, kind of ugly. I, it's kind of... I believe what she says about it is that it's a movie where it is less than the sum of its parts, but yeah. some of those parts are really fucking fun. What are some of your... Like, everyone agrees that Meg's the best part. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, no, it's Zeus. No, 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 not Zeus. Her, like, who's the bad guy? Hades. Hades. As voiced by James Woods, this is one of the few <sighs> good things James Woods has brought to the planet Earth. Which is... His vocals on Hercules. Yeah, have you said that he's seen that he's totally become, like, right-wing maniac, though? Yeah, no, he's a complete monster. Which is, yeah. He's I... perhaps the only person to have voiced a Disney villain and to be a Disney villain. <laughs> this is In real life. We should have figured it out here, because, yeah, turns out they weren't in the recording studio when he recorded his lines. He was just talking to himself in his bathroom. Um, but yeah, he's... They did do a lot of video reference on him. Uh, oh, you can totally in, tell. In the animation like... chamber a lot, because uh, Hades has a lot of hand gestures and facial expressions. And you, they, you can totally tell, even the facial expressions, you can totally see James Wood making like those big bug eyes, just like... Mm-hmm. No, I remember, I... I remember reading, uh, writing by the primary animator for Hercules, who I'll, I'll look up the name in a second, but oh, yeah? basically just videotaped his entire <sighs> recording sessions and just looked directly at video for almost all the gestural stuff. I would imagine he must have been more like, like almost like the mean-spirited equivalent of Robin Williams, and I'm sure they must have had a thousand alternate takes and stuff for that role, except instead of being funny, hey, jovial, it was more like just mean-spirited uh, Hollywood dark, dark agents. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, kind of like, yeah, not, not quite funny, but malevolent, just like, schmuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, he's definitely, yeah, he and Meg are t- definitely two highlights of the film. Yep. Mm-hmm. Too bad everything else about they're the film is really than, milk toast. They're smarter than everybody else in They're the like from a different movie. Yeah. Because the rest of the movie is so earnest and fluffy and everything like that, and they just come from this entirely different gr- gritty noir thing that, like, none well, of them... Uh, uh, Hercules' uh, satyr trainer, Philoctetes, voiced by Danny DeVito... <laughs> That's actually is, a good point. ...is also very much, like, they they have this whole thing of... Although, uh, because he's supposed to be one of the good guys, he's kind of neutered, so he's kind of fluffy version of that... Like, yeah, I but he's, he he hits on women. He's <sighs> cynical. So there's there's yeah. a dichotomy here of uh, a whole bunch of like cynical urbanites, and then Hercules is a, a country bumpkin, an oh gosh farm boy. Yeah, but not in a way that they intended. Like you, there is that element that is like the text of the film, but I think also uh, like that the 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 gulf between those two is deeper than even the filmmakers intended. Where it really does feel feel like. Uh, uh, Meg and Hades, and to a lesser extent, Phil, are from kind of a different film, or at least a different version of this movie. Mm-hmm. At one that the part of it is also really so fucking boring. Yeah, he's... like they uh, they try to do something interesting, but there's only so much you can do with literally like a golden god. I'm a hero. His only want in life is that. Oh no, everyone's mad at me because I'm too strong. Oh no, and it's just like. It's hard to be sympathetic with a character who's, like, too perfect. Not that he's perfect when he's a teenager at the beginning of the film, but you know what I mean. It's a bit like... Yeah, they try... There's nothing they, for... Hmm. They try to lean into the whole uh, celebrity complex thing where he gets, like, a big yeah. head. And he's, but they, but they, it's so important to the movie to have Hercules still fundamentally be, like, a sweet guy. A sweet, earnest guy that yeah. they can't... They never really go into the character having a flaw other than him really wanting to be a, a hero so that he can be reinstated yeah. to Olympus. So wait, before we just bitch about the movie for 90 minutes, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, this is... let's position this in the, the 90s Disney uh, canon. The Pantheon. So uh, the year before Disney's big release was The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, so that was a year before this. 96 was The Hunchback of Notre oh, okay. Dame. Do, uh, do we know what came right after this? Would that have been Tarzan? 
Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, I, I want to make a point before we get off to this point. I think there was a version of this film which actually, as bland as Hercules can be, I'm glad they didn't do the thing where you're talking about the celebrity complex. I'm sure there was a version of this film that they did where he gets drunk on his own newfound celebrity and becomes an asshole and then has to be talked down because that's been done a thousand times before in movies before. Glad they didn't go that route. But because they could, didn't have any real room to move on that front, let's like, there's only so many stories you can tell about the country bumpkin who becomes a star. And it's either yeah. like... He lives up to his self-image, or he becomes a schmuck. At least he doesn't become a schmuck, but then the rest of it's just like, I'm not heroic enough. And But yeah, so what was the film that came out after this? Uh, after this was Mulan. Yeah, oh, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, just... so this came, came between two very earnest, relatively straight two Two much shooting. darker Disney movies. Yeah, not that I've really seen all of Mulan either. All I know is Mulan. Yeah, Mulan has some comic relief, but it's still fundamentally like a big epic war story yeah. with a disguised heroine and... Uh, a, a grim villain who really has virtually no uh, is that the charisma? guy with like little black eyes, like the Genghis Khan wannabe? Yeah, so yeah, he, okay. but he's very much just a generic threat as opposed to like yeah. uh, seems like a force of nature hate, personified Hades by a this, dude, but like yeah, yeah, Hades in this is a hugely characterized character, uh, and so much of the movie is just him bantering basically with himself. Really, yeah, they give him two uh, little monsters to talk to, and even then, he barely spent any time talking to them. One of them was voiced by Bobcat Goldthwaite, you know. Which I should love this movie just for that. And the other guy is Matt Frewer, who mm-hmm. played Max Headroom. And was also the guy on Star Trek The Next Generation who tried to steal... Oh, he had the time machine, and he was pretending that he was from the future? And he was getting historical records about the Enterprise-D because they were about to do something amazing, and he was coming back from time. Turns out he had hijacked someone's time machine from the past to jump forward to the future, was stealing everyone's stuff, and was going to take it back in the past and, like, reinvent that and become a millionaire for himself. Take a breath. Take a breath. Not a sad thing's happening! Oh my god. (laughs) Dylan, Don't more than anyone else alive, point. is is used to and insulated from Bill's tendency to just ramble. So thank you very much. For That's not being, true. Thank you for my life coach lessons. You ramble Dylan. all the time. You're my Phil. Aww, kind of. that's... That's concerning. So uh, production for this one would have been rolling at the same time as the last half of Hunchback and the first half of Mulan in terms yeah, of animation Yeah, that would have smacked teams. out in the middle of it. Probably even like uh, even as uh, Lion King was winding down. Because like, most of these films yeah, have a four-year production cycle. It would be in very early development. Well, I'm saying, yeah. but like, yeah, generally, they are, any one of these films being in production, at least with three other films at the same time. So uh, the one of the very uh, important early production muses, and he actually has a fairly large credit in the final film, uh, is the British cartoonist Gerald Scarf. Okay. That's Scarfe with an E. Scarf with an E, but no accent. So okay. Gerald Scarf. Uh, <laughs> and he about. is an illustrator who, if you look up his work, you will probably recognize the style quite quickly. Okay. Because it's all the, the pointy stuff? Mm-hmm. His uh, design aesthetic is really, really especially clear to see in the designs of Pain and Panic. And in a bunch of the... Oh, uh, yeah. It's the... Yeah. And in a bunch of the more minor characters that uh, are Big not... Big schnozzes. Yeah, lots of really uh, lines that really point back in on themselves lots of just extremely cartooned and kind of unsettlingly uh creepy work in almost like the who's the guy who did all the illustrations for all the hunter s thompson books and stuff ralph steadman yeah kind of like very, that kind of very thing, steadman-esque yeah. and so if you if you look up gerald scarf hercules you'll find some great examples of early concept art from him and a lot of it really they really kept integrated into the movie as a whole yeah but when it came to the uh the more heroic main characters like hercules and meg his touch is less visible like they really 
had to kind of soften his aesthetic and, yeah. you know, tunify well, it a also, bit more. Well, also, not even just from an appeal perspective, but I'm just sure from just a basic animil- uh, anim- animation ability yeah. quotient. Like, yeah, because stiffer characters, background characters can get away with, like, these characters being so outlandishly just well, a lo- exaggerated. A lot of like... it is very, it's very two-dimensional, and Scarf's yeah. style is very illustrative as opposed to, you know, rendered or having those easy-to-rotate shapes that traditional animation really needs. So, yeah. uh, honestly, uh, one of the reasons why I enjoy watching this movie, and I enjoy it in general, is that it's so, it's so very much a traditionally animated movie. Like, you couldn't do this style in 3D because so try, many of the characters... Ca- be the yeah. so many of the characters can't actually rotate in 3d space and still maintain which they have issues sometimes in the film like you if you pay attention to like meg's breasts and what's going on there it's a little bit like sometimes when she's facing you like they flange out and like you can't tell if it's supposed to be some kind of like curved piece or like what's going like or if you just pay attention to specific body parts they claim yeah, she was like, uh she was designed to look like a greek vase oh because an, an the amphora. hips and the yes just, like yeah uh, but there, um, as an artist who also has a very two-dimensional, yeah. Teddy's lodging his opinion, um, as an artist who also has a very default, very two-dimensional, flat graphic yeah, sensibility, actually, yeah. that's how my brain tweaks, I really enjoy seeing that style sort of animated. Now I feel bad for shit-talking that look during the film, because that's no, like an ad hominem attack on you. Like, the, probably the things I, I like the least are the parts that are the most Gerald Scarfy, like Pain and Panic. I, I don't yeah. I don't enjoy looking at them. To be fair, they're supposed to be little monsters, so it makes sense that they like really skew that way the most with those characters, because they're supposed to be unappealing, yeah, but, but it is also... Then that's something mm. I mentioned while we were talking about the film. Like I, th- I understand what they were trying to do with this film, but at the same time, it's just still also just a generally unappealing look. Yeah, at its most when it's at its most extreme and at its closest to his concept art, yeah. it it's it's unnerving and I I think they did an interesting job of blending his look with uh, you know, classical Greek vase painting yeah. in particular, red attic vase. Oh, is that what it is? Red attic? Uh, red figure attic vase styles and black figure attic vase styles. Right. I, went, different... I, went, mm-hmm. I went to a middle school for classical stuff, so I used to pretend to, pretend to be able to be the, the, the expert about this stuff. You blow me the fuck out of the water, because you went to, like, <laughs> college for this shit, so yeah. Yeah, I took a lot of classes in um, classical civilization, but I, I think yeah. the combination of... It doesn't work all the time and in all of the movie, but the intersection between the classical look, Disney 2D, uh, 90s really... look, and Gerald Scarf, is, it's a wacky combo. And yeah. things that... And they more or less, I mean, they did make it work for what it is. I yeah. mean, but, I, th- I think it has some rough it's not the most coherent of all no, Disney and just And I, they really don't play around with that too much in the backgrounds. The backgrounds tend to be pretty tra- uh, traditionally uh, designed. There's a heavy l- leaning on towards mass and silhouettes kind of like from what they did with Aladdin where all the like the backgrounds tend to like the shapes tend to have very fluid and kind of like chunky low gravity center of gravity everything's kind of, like, very stylized yeah and but that doesn't really feed into like the. I wonder if they were trying to like add some kind of dimensionality there because like all the figures are so flat and graphic on top mm-hmm. they thought so that's kind of an interesting kind of juxtaposition well, I noticed the shading uh, in the movie is generally very soft yeah there are only a few instances where they cut to really crisp cell shading which I guess they were trying to offset the crispness of the, like, the actual silhouettes of the, mm-hmm. the create create of... a little modeling without yeah, that's a good without point, making the uh, problems of very two-dimensional design <laughs> Too evident. Well, one thing they always do for for Disney features is that they always make maquettes of the figures of the, of the characters to see 
So the animators it's can probably like, pretty hard on. for this. That's one. what I'm saying. They must have had like multiple maquettes for each characters just for like, okay, from this perspective, they've drawn like this. This is not going to make any sense from another point of view. So try not to do a 360 rotation of this character because it's not going to make any sense. But oh my god! But yeah, this is. I, I really recommend that if you're at all interested in animation production uh, and concept art, check out Gerald Scarf's work for this yeah. movie because it's it, it's one of the rare examples where instead of having like a herd of concept artists who yeah. all go really far afield and then the movie seems to you know just draw a few pointers from that without really sticking to anything some of his drawings are very much exactly the designs they went with only edited so that they're actually animated i'm looking at a drawing of his and margaret thatcher that just looks like painter panic like it's that big nose book. like <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah the they scythe pr- nose. you take off her wig and that's one of the characters in this movie um, well, well, who's, uh, who's the guy who, there was also an issue of Sandman that was designed after a style that I'm, I'm assuming must have been an influence on this too, kind of like the old Greek. It was a more recent artist, but like, there's a dude who like had a classical art style, his name was like, Her- not Hieronymus, but Bosch. But like, they did a whole series, a whole issue of the Sandman that was kind of, that's black and white and very graphic, but like, almost like a Greek vase. Anyone listening at home who want to chime in at this point? <laughs> Maybe I'm making this up. This is what I should have done. We literally just watched the movie and started recording right after this. And also spoilers, too, because Daniel's not here. Daniel's usually the one who does the whole pl- uh, plot point plot point to buy plot points uh, breakdown of the events of the film. We're not going to do that. This, this is, gonna be more this is a Disney all. movie this from 1997, so if you're confused about what happens in it, IMDb has a very good explanation. Spoilers! Okay, there's a hero. They have something lacking in their lives. They sing an I Want song. They're challenged. There's a villain. And then the guy says, and there's the thing, and then there's a song, and then there's a CGI action scene, and then the thing happens, and then the girl shows up. So they 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 play very fast and loose with Greek mythology in this, which is understandable because Greek mythology, yeah. although it's not as intense as Norse mythology, is still uh, pretty uh, R-rated. Yeah. Uh, and, and hilariously so, uh, contrasted to the Disney stuff. Like, like I was joking when we were watching the film about, like, Hera and Zeus being all a loving, doting mother and father couple who are like, they sleep at night in bed. And Zeus is not going out and impregnating people by raining on them or turning into chickens or whatever. Yeah, and Hera's a sweet maternal uh, creature. In actual mythology, Hera's pretty shrewish and jealous and spends a lot of time murdering yeah. Zeus's girlfriends, including, in the original mythology, uh, Hercules' mother, who is definitely not Hera. In the original mythology, she's a princess named Semele. Yeah, because uh, Hercules is a demigod, right? Or Correct. Yeah. So, uh, in the original story... As Zeus manages to get his girlfriend, Semele, who is immortal, knocked up. And Hera comes to Semele and tells her, hey, so your boyfriend says he's Zeus. But do you really, like, know he's Zeus? Maybe he's just some dude who's tricking you. So you should ask him to reveal himself to you in all of his godly glory. Which, as it turns out, if anybody sees a revealed god, they'll get turned into dust because it's just, the glory is too is much. Is that for consistent a in all the 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 Greek yeah, stories? Gods are always in disguise. Uh, <sighs> yeah, I know. So yeah. Uh, Zeus comes to visit his pregnant girlfriend Semele, and uh, she says, "I I want to ask something of you," and he says, "I will do anything you ask of me, uh, without question. Tell me what it is. It's yours." She says, "Oh, I, I want to see you in your fully revealed glory," and he's very sad because he knows this. Yeah, this is she. She's brought destruction on herself. But she has made her request, so he reveals himself. She is uh, turned into ash. She's burned to a crisp, but he manages to grab the fetal Hercules, Heracles, uh, 
out of her womb before the baby's incinerated and then slices open his calf, sews Hercules, the infant Hercules, into his leg and then gives birth (laughs) from his leg when Hercules is done gestating. I'm sure this made more sense before the invention of cable TV or, like, books. You know? Where it's like, at any given time, was, was... was Zeus just a walking collection of babies, like, growing in different parts of no, his body, and his the... calf, and his head? Uh, it's just Athena came out of his skull, and technically she was in her mother's womb. It's just that her mother lived inside of Zeus's skull, uh, and Hercules gestated in Zeus's calf. There's something in the water. Some kind of lead poisoning in the water. That's, oh, what? isn't that the joke about Roman history? Like, people suspected, like, the decline of the Roman lead civilization pipes, was, yeah. Yeah, was lead pipes. Uh, yeah. That's an aspect of it. And, uh, uh. So they, they obviously uh, have a lot of fun not following the rules. Uh, for example, Paul Schaefer was not actually uh, Hermes, the god of travelers, thieves, and messengers. Again, this... although he does a great turn as himself as Hermes, he's fine this. for what he needs to be in the movie. But it's totally like, hey, it's the '90s. We just need another random celebrity in this movie that no kid is going to know or care who this yeah, is. Grownups but... will love it. And and the whole <sighs> the the other twist they do is not only do they kind of mess around with Greek mythology, but they also have like a uh, a sort of a Vegas floor show. Is which again, that's one of the best parts of the movie, even aesthetic? though it's completely not like it's not really integrated in the film that well. It, it, yeah, because they're also playing with uh, the story of Rocky. So it's a Vegas, yeah. it's a Vegas floor show it's... meets Rocky meets Greek mythology meets a typical '90s Disney movie. So it's and a, the it's Stitch a, is holding this shit together huge. It's a heady mix, and yeah. there are a lot of jokes flying in all sorts of directions. Uh, Lots of weird puns and jokes about Disney merchandise, but then like this and that. And... I think probably the the height of all those things colliding into each other is a moment where Hercules has achieved earthly fame and is uh, posing for his portrait, which is being painted on a vase. Oh, yeah. Get it? Waka waka. <laughs> uh, but he is uh, posing with the skin of a lion. In actual mythology, it is a uh, magical lion who he has to slay as one of his labors. Yeah. That he has to well, take on in exchange for, I think, murdering his wife. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, because I know he, the, the, yeah, okay. Hera inflicts him with madness. Something, something, yeah. Yeah, Hera actually he spent, had a lot of in mythology. Hera spends a lot of time trying to drive Hercules insane because <laughs> he's the child of her rival. But uh, yeah. so he is posing with this lion skin on his head uh, for his portrait to be taken. So we're doing a, a goof on modern celebrity culture and Rocky and stardom. But then the lion skin is actually very obviously a scar from very the Lion King. Like they yeah. wave it in front of the the imaginary in camera about 12 shots. times it's not like something you have to look for like oh like did you notice it's like because then phil grabs it and phil's like wag- wagging in front of the camera like oh hey did you notice yeah this is not a gag it's... on the level of oh did you notice that in that one shot you can kind of see a stylized version of the carpet from aladdin this yeah. is this is like rubbing well, it on the screen in uh, aladdin there's i th- i think the sultan jasmine's dad is like playing with a bunch of toys and he's got a bunch of uh like a, a pyramid of little figures and if you notice like one of the figures is beast from beating the beast and that's it it's not like they suddenly cut to another shot of like close-up shot of him like placing beast on the thing and then like waving beast in front of your eyes or anything like that it's just cute but like that's the thing too because this movie came out no, nor is it the special effects animation team writing sfx in the flames yeah, of frollo's yeah. fireplace it doesn't say sex no isn't that in that's lying in, in every 2d animated the sfx animators would write yeah. sfx oh does that happen in the 
in Hunchback too? Yes. It happens in the flames of Frollo's Although fireplace. Although that makes sense. And that would actually make sense in Frollo's fireplace because he's thinking about sound like he, right. he would be writing the word sex himself in character. That would like actually be part of that scene. Right. Uh, but uh. no, uh, everybody's like, oh, they put, they drew sex and all. No, it's SFX special yeah, Exactly, effects. yeah. But it's not, it's nowhere on that level of subtlety. It's like playing to the back seats. Yeah. Hey guys. And that's one of the things because this movie came out a couple years after Aladdin and Aladdin kind of broke Disney where like they were stuck forever chasing after the 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 genie in terms of yeah, like oh wha- we have to have wacky contemporary humor we can't just play mm-hmm. it straight like Beauty and the Beast and this is a couple films removed from that and you can tell where shit's starting to get sweaty where maybe that mm-hmm. kind of sense of humor I mean one of the classical examples is it's a little movie. strained and Hunchback that was a huge problem this is even worse here where like you kind of wonder what a version of this movie like like a, what a version of this movie without all that stuff if they had played it straight like a Beauty and the Beast or something like that would have been like I don't know that doesn't necessarily mean it would have been better but I think they're having a they're having to reach farther to go for like the contemporary jokes than they had to even in Aladdin because like with Aladdin you had Robin Williams and he was just like that one man joke machine all you had to do is illustrate what he was saying that was funny and here you don't have Robin, Robin Williams you're having the Disney animators try to come up with these jokes and they don't they're not quite as charming and as funny I, I don't even know that it's they're not as good as it I, I, in aladdin so yes there's a lot of charm derived from the genie but yeah. it kind of he's the only one who is in on that joke like every that's a, yeah a, all the stuff he's saying bounces off of the people around him and they just completely ignore it as oh genie's just being weird and it kind of it kind of makes sense because he's that's a almost be- part of the charm of the character who exists like outside of normal space and time and right? it's kind of like, nudging the audience like get it get it get it but like yeah well, yeah, but the point is, like, it doesn't actually influence the other characters, except in as much as our no, yeah, this character is very antic. You, yeah. And even in Hunchback of Notre Dame, where uh, Quasimodo's interactions with the gargoyles, who only ever directly speak with him, so they, yeah. they're sort of posited as possibly figments of his imagination, even though they have an impact on the physical world. Which is why, still... yeah, which is why people just want like, to get upset that they actually, because if, if they had disappeared during the last act, you could say, oh, at least it was just a figment of his imagination, whatever. But, yeah. Right. Right, but but um, they're still contained, so they they make contemporary references and jokes and songs, yeah. but they're still not impacting the rest of the movie. And Quasimodo doesn't get their topical references either because he's existing in this medieval French world instead. Yeah. But in Hercules, the entire world is in on the joke, if that makes sense. And like, yeah, when they go to they go to Thebes for some reason they picked the. Thebes instead of Athens, they're like, oh, the big olive. <laughs> it's like uh, so, it's like the sweatiest vaudeville comedian just being like, hey, get it, get it. Well, and there's, I mean, there's such a like a sheer volume of jokes that like you, you can't pick which one to laugh yeah. at, and it does kind of reward rewatching because they're just a gajillion little gags. Which I'm not saying it's all terrible or anything like no, that. No, but, too, it but does... it's enough that it's 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 oppressive enough. No, I hate to say oppressive because it makes it sound worse than it is. It undercuts it is... the emotional stakes of the movie, and the emotional stakes of the movie are already flimsy enough without being yeah. distracted by the constant like. Like oh, it's like yeah. Really, it's... the entire the entire conflict of the movie is based on oh, one character is hiding something from another. And that's not good. And that that's really. always a very and there's weak a misunderstanding because one person accidentally hears the co- half a conversation about the other the, talking to the villain about how they're portraying, and then that's like that's like the whole drama for the rest of the film. And just, yeah, yeah, that's a little bit. Plot wise, it doesn't really hang together, and they rely on oh, in this one time the planets will come into alignment, 
and Hades will be able to do a bad thing that otherwise he won't be able to do. You're like, really? We're relying on the planets coming into alignment? Come yeah, on. Because it's Hades. He can do whatever Come the fuck on, he gang. wants. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, they, uh, they just, that they, leans on it like, oh. They needed a ticking clock to create plot tension, yeah. and that that's never a great sign. Because otherwise, in a universe filled with gods and monsters and stuff like that, like anyone can do whatever they want whenever they want, so you have to give some kind of shape to the pop, plot by having a ticking clock. Yeah. I understand why they were put in that position. There's no, there's but, no object that's a MacGuffin, but like the whole plot is basically a MacGuffin. But again, even that wouldn't be so sweaty if, again, Hercules had been more interesting as a character. Even if he had the same character with the same... Even if this it was the same script, practically, but if it was just more of an interesting, more dynamic character, if it had more personality, because was it like... I think it's one of the kids from Space Camp who voices that dude. <laughs> and that's it's not it's not just the fault of the, of the voice actor for Hercules, but he's just so like, gee golly... I'm just ninety per nine. I'm I'm just stronger than everyone else, and I'm just kind of like, I just there's no underdogness to him, and mm-hmm. he's just so kind of affable, but not affable. Uh, I, we, no, it's more of a whole, gee. It's real tough to be the quarterback. Yeah, it would be more. <laughs> it would be more interesting if he was you know, even a heightened, more like butt fuck stupid, like best in show character kind of stupid. That not not stupid, but kind of like getting in his mean? own way, kind of like bumpkin. What we were talking about. So when he's a teenager, he's, uh, they set him up as being very unpopular in his little middle nowhere hometown because he's strong but uncoordinated, so he just demolishes everything in his path because he's so unaware of his own power and where his body is in space, which is a good gag about teenage boys, and I really love that they they draw him as having enormous feet and hands, like, you know, like a puppy. Especially, yeah, his below the knee, he's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, his feet are pointed towards each other, so it's like a nice send-up of adolescent like not having yet come grown into your your yeah. strengths, but it's still like. But a... then they then they they lose that immediately by sending him off to do his rocky training montage, and then he's a perfectly coordinated, you know, super strong hero. And yeah, so he it's... goes from being Spider Man to being Superman, but Superman without any Clark Kent. And yeah. I think if there'd been a little more of that like, dual identity thing, it would have worked better. And that's one of the things we're also talking to with Clark Kent, doing the Clark Kent thing, where. Also, personality-wise, he's so much from a different film than than Meg and and Phil uh, and literally Phil every, and everyone else, virtually everybody else. Like, cause this is like, like, yeah, this is like a Superman movie where Lois Lane is actually the most entertaining character because well, Superman's so so lame. <coughs> that's often the case. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but they're going for the sweet farm boy thing, and how what makes him special is that he doesn't have you know a shtick or a patter or uh, a second agenda he's just a, a sweet he's just he's what, a sweet glute. what you see is what you get there's no depth there's no yeah and not they, that you need secret hidden machinations or anything no but they pitch meg uh meg the female lead falling in love with him because Which is kind of improbable because there's nothing else to him he just is a sweet earnest dude yeah and because he is such a puppy dog they yeah they they yeah, set her up I, as yeah. having been betrayed in love she sold her soul to rescue her old boyfriend and then he dumped her for another woman. So now her soul belongs to Hades, and he's using, other he's using her that? to attract Who do you dump Meg for for someone else? That guy must have been out of his fucking mind, because... How do you dump Rose Quartz? I have Rose Quartz. She's right there. Just take her. Go, no, 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 Bill, no, 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 no. Who's, who's the voice actress who voices Meg or I Bill? totally forget her name, but she, I have totally oh got God. crush on her. Uh, yeah, she also voiced... Um, 
Oh, God, she was the tavern owner in yes. Porco Rosso. She's Susan Egan. Susan Egan. I love you, Susan Egan. I'm going to send you MP3 of this podcast. I believe podcast she also was over. Lynn in, Sp- in the, uh, That's what it was, uh, yeah. the dub of Spirited Away. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. the older uh, cleaning kind of lady kind of stuff who's a uh, mentor to Sen in that movie. And, yeah, she's Rose Quartz in Steven Universe and stuff like that. Yeah, she's done a ton of voiceover work. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, oh, oh, she was in Galaxy Quest, but her scenes were deleted. What? As, like, oh. a person? Yeah. I don't know what she looks like. I just know her voice is super hot. I think she was an alien because she's billed as Teak. (laughs) Could you imagine her like, hey, Tunga Mikafuini. I can't remember how they talk in Galaxy Quest. uh, That's hilarious. Anyway. Oh, my God. But, like, even, like, yeah, we were talking to, like, Meg's song. Like, Mm -hmm. she has her big, like, super sad song in the end. I was like, you could totally tell they were trying to make this into, like, a doo-wop thing. But like it's so yeah, processed the, into this like wa- like washed out Disney thing that's so the, hard. So the to... muses are sort of a Motown girl group, which is which is honestly it's really fun. I really like that angle. And in a, a movie that's set in ancient Greece, it's nice to have like some racial diversity. Well, this is their way of. <laughs> how like, do I, how do I say this without sounding sound like someone's racist grandpa? But this is their way of. Uh oh God! If like. I don't want to say blacking up the movie, but Hercules itself, it's a ancient white greek thing how do you how do you make anyone but the nerdiest stupidest white people even give a shit it's bad enough it's such an old greek story anyway who the fuck cares but how do you get anyone who's not a white person to see this film they had to figure that out and so their way was like okay let's just have the no it's not the fates and the the fates are the ones who cut the string right yes but you have the great chorus, literally a great chorus, yeah. which is fun, but still doesn't really match. Well, they're still, as... they're still going for a showbiz thing, so it's like, oh, the Supremes do Vegas kind of uh, which angle that they take. thematically kind of ties into the celebrity worship angle, but not really, like, visually, they would never really do anything with that or anything like that. And uh, It's one of my it's... favorite parts of the movie. I think it's so, I think it's actually better than the rest of the film is actually. Yeah. Just like, just they're, like. They're a really great narrative device. There's a great prequel to be had about this about where meg came from that doesn't involve hercules or phil a great nor gritty 50s girl action thing about where meg came from and her boyfriend and hercules and how she made her start her original deal with zeus and like it's all like a little shop of horror soundtrack with them singing and stuff like that that would have been more like yeah, you take all the good pieces and put them together, and it could have been so tasty. But this, you, you're, there's all these characters are stuck in this story about this kid. Essentially, it's a rich white kid who's just waiting for his inheritance to come in. That's really what it boils well, down the whole, to. Well, the whole point is that Hercules uh, was born a god, but had his immortality stolen by Hades' lackeys. Yeah. And now Hercules has to become a true hero. Here, quotes. Uh, Not just a hero, but a true hero, which... And so he, of course, thinks this means, you know, being a hero in the classical Greek sense, which is beating a lot of monsters uh, and having superhuman powers, and he's very frustrated that being famous for hurting monsters is not enough to make him a true hero. And here we arrive at the very thinly painted, like, American Disney moral of the story, that he only... (sighs) is a true hero when he uh, decides to trade his life for his girlfriend's life. Yeah, that's not really like a moral you can like really interpret in your own life. You understand like, selflessness is always good, but it's not like... Yeah, it's they're... abstract enough where it's like, okay, well, and I'm putting this in a situation where you could sacrifice for someone else. That's how and you become good. he's not all that selfish in the movie. Yeah, it's not like he learns a lesson. He just becomes... He just stays who he is regardless of what the situation is, and that just earns him... 
he gets his he gets his cash money inheritance and he moves into the palisades well, and I at can, the end of the movie it's i like, could argue that when uh so his he makes a deal that he will trade his strength for 24 hours and let hades uh Bring the rant, t- yeah. basically bring up the MacGuffin from the depths of the earth so he can defeat his brother. Rise, my MacGuffins, my wind MacGuffin, my ice MacGuffin. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so he trades his strength for 24 hours, and he just has the strength of, of a normal Burtley dude. And yeah, he, now he's just strong. Not he's super initially strong. very depressed about it, and really doesn't fight back against these monsters, even though they're you know wreaking havoc over yeah, the face of the earth. Yeah, the landscape. But then, then uh, you know, his trainer, his girlfriend, managed to convince him to stay kind of fight back and i it's like at the point Did where you see he, his trainer girlfriend his trainers slash girlfriend trainer mm-hmm. and girlfriend i'm not saying you're wrong uh you know get him back into the action and he takes on these monsters through his wits alone as opposed to through brute strength i'm yeah. kind of like well that's sort of the point where he actually is heroic because he's, he's facing great personal risk mm-hmm. and has put himself because he's sticking like, his neck out i mean there's not much more he can do than other just yeah. Yeah. So the fact that it's him trading his life for his girlfriend's life yeah. in the the river of the dead, he jumps into the river of the dead to uh to rescue Meg and to trade his life for hers. But Hades has played a mean trick on him because he'll be dead before he can reach her. Yeah. I'm like, well, then he's not even really. It's just like... he has no agency in this to whether or not he really becomes a hero or not. He just yeah, yeah. it's. He's just this little, like, robot dog toy that's just, you've wound him up and he just keeps on going until something stops him and that's not really his fault. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's... As a coming-of-age story, they really undercut it by, you know, having him come into his strength really in the first act. Yeah. And there's no real growth, because, I mean, the real growth is his training montage where he stops being, like, a little... Like, uh, yeah, you, you, where you said it, where he stops being just a fumbly teen, and well, now, like now his, he's in control of his powers and stuff like that. But his yeah, supposed arriving at lesson. maturity is when he decides to turn down being an immortal god and living in uh, Olympus with all of his godly relatives so he can go live on Earth with his girlfriend? Yeah, yeah that's like literally 30 seconds like, before the credits roll. Yeah, yeah like, it's well, like... Okay. Right. And then, then he, everyone sings his praises, and it's like, what was this movie about? I found where I belong. Instead of living in heaven with, uh, as a god with my family, I'll live on Earth as a famous celebrity with my girlfriend. But I and you're like, I, well, that's kind of a lateral move. Yeah, and I, but I could still talk to my family because they live right above me, and I'm a god anyway. So what yeah. does like, and, you know, what I, do I do when she dies in five years? And but, like, it's like owning a dog. Like, I'm gonna have to lose her anyway. <laughs> it's kind of sad. But uh, no, I think Lucy <sighs> Ellis has it right when when she said that this movie is less than the sum of its parts and its parts are really fun yeah but there's just maybe a little too much going on yeah and i mean i'm uh i'm a huge partisan of hunchback of notre dame which is a deeply flawed movie that's flawed in the way like they had a head injury like you could see what's wrong like there's no like we're we're trying to put our put our thumb on what's wrong here this is like you you could see it that person got fucked up in that car wreck but even just how some things like haven't aged well like representation of romani people is kind of uh, kind of a toss-up there as to whether you find it like goat was in the original story yes i've read the novel by victor hugo (laughs) and you read it in french yeah french i read it in french I didn't even mean to say it like that. That's that is the Midwestern of me. Professor Dylan's History Minute. It was originally titled uh, "A Bottle of Ink" or "What's in a Bottle of Ink" because really? Victor Hugo wrote the entire novel with just one bottle of ink. And then I think his so pu- it doesn't really rush together at the end. He's no, like, "Oh God, I'm running out. I'm running out." I think his publisher was like, "Vic." 
please, you're, <laughs> kill, you're killing us. The Hunchback gimmick. of Notre Dame just is a lot more intriguing. I wrote this book only on one MacBook. <laughs> one word document. I've never heard about that. I know the French title is, like, different. It's... It's it's, Notre, isn't it's, the Bells of Notre Dame? No, it's Notre Dame de Paris. So it's just, oh, just Our Lady of Paris. Paris. Yeah. They haven't seen Paris because you think you're from. It's like saying the New York of America. No, there are a lot of Our Ladies. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, this is. The songs aren't that great. Uh, the performances I mean, the, of the, the great big, choir? The big I good? Wish I Want ballad is. I'm on my way. That's the one? If I can be strong. Yeah. It's. Uh, man, you can just hear it playing in a mid-90s department store in, with, like, the sparkle effect synth. But damn if it isn't an earworm. Like, you that, think so? I don't of, think it's bad, but I just kind of... Of uh, all of the songs in this movie, that is the one that I will sometimes find myself humming, and I'll be so mad about it. And you can it. sing it now, so you're not kidding about that, actually, yeah. Uh, and I will... I don't will... myself at, like, like a N- Nintendo 64 Dio, uh, demo kiosk at the mall with that, like, tinny in the background during christmas playing yeah uh and uh, although uh entertainingly i took a uh a number of courses at uh in college with a really well-known uh classicist academic named andrew segedy mazik say that that name three times fast uh and he uh gave some pretty rigorous exams but there was always uh some bonus questions at the end and in his classical intro to classical civilization uh, final exam, the bonus question was, who put the glad in gladiator? Oh. <laughs> because he had kids, and he yeah. actually, he said, uh, so I'm sure a lot of you have first encountered Greek mythology by reading, like, the Dallaire's Book of Greek Myths, that, which is still in print. It's a wonderful collection. Yeah, you I grew up with it. Yeah, me a copy of that, yeah. Yeah, it's what spurred my interest originally as a kid. Beautifully illustrated compendium of only mildly censored myths for children uh and he's like and also uh, a lot of people come to greek mythology through disney's hercules which frankly i love even though it's ridiculous so i really enjoyed getting to fill out that question and hercules did you write the answer with like in the hercules font i did okay okay, that's that would be half the joke too i was like i have waited my entire life for this (laughs) so is megara anything from from it's actually the name of a town Okay, well, it makes sense. They would just pull something out of something like, yeah, they need, we need to find a feminine name that we can shorten down to something like Phil. I like how both of those characters are like, oh, uh, my name is really blah, blah, blah. My, no. my, my, fr- my friends call me blah, blah, blah. Phil. Um, uh, no, so, um, oh, no, wait, actually, no, there was a princess that he married. I think that was his original wife who he murdered. Megara? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, sorry, Greeks. completely Calm forgot down. this, but no, I think that he uh, he murdered her because Hera made him insane, so he killed his wife in a fit of rage, and so the uh, the labors, the labors of Hercules that he had to do, like, killing a bunch of monsters, cleaning up various stables, was to avenge Cleaning her. up various stables, No, oh, yeah. no, he had to, he had to do that, the Augean stables. Uh, I, I think that was part of his penance for that, and then he got a new squeeze after that, who was the ultimate cause of his death. Wait, how'd he die? Uh, his, uh, sort of echoing the way he was born with his mother's incineration, his, uh, wife, huh. Deonera, I believe is her name, is convinced to, um, give him a, a poisoned, uh, gown, basically, 
a um you know what greek robe yeah uh because it's supposed to i think make him less vulnerable anyway it's it's misrepresented to her or she's worried that he's cheating on her or something she's induced to give him this poison gown and uh it's slowly killing him uh so hercules ends up asking he builds his own funeral pyre and has his friends lighted on fire, and uh, he actually ends up ascending to Olympus as the mortal parts of him are burned away. Wow. He okay, becomes immortal. Cool. So Hercules yeah. ascending to Olympus to become a god is actually mythologically established. That sounds way more metal than what we got in the film, where they just yeah. ride a fluffy cloud to heaven. Yeah. And... Other than, uh, like, murdering your own family and then atoning yeah. for it and then getting poisoned by a shirt. I mean, I guess they did a good job bringing across the basic points of Hercules. Just, like, you know, like... Yeah, for for Disney, like, they, yeah, they no. had a lot of the plot points. And I'm coming off of Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is <laughs> definitely characterized differently from the Victor Hugo novel, where pretty much everybody is horrible and or dies. Yeah. <laughs> what, so, so you think uh, I'm on my way. What's, what, what's the hero song? I want song? You think that's better than, like, the Hercules Big Show Floor number? I think... Hercules! Da, 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 da. Go the distance. Wow. I think it's, I think it's kind of a There's tie, no but... There's song in that movie, is there? Nope. I'm guessing, I'm I'm guessing assuming... James Woods was not ah, interested. Because, yeah, good luck finding anyone who could sing as a double to James Woods. And I, I would love to see the afternoon... Okay, James, it's gonna sound a little weird, but we're gonna try you out for singing. What can we do? Well, it's not like fucking... Oh, really? Technically, this episode, Hercules is really the most elaborate. Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode because it's not like Danny DeVito can sing, but they kind of did what they did with um. Oh my God, who's the guy who narrated Frosty the Snowman? The the guy with the schnoz, not Burgess Meredith. The guy with the 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 good night, Miss Calabash. Oh my God, I can't believe her fucking. He can't sing, but he sings Frosty the Snowman. But it's not like a singing, singing. He's just talking, and so that's what they do for Danny DeVito in the movie. Yeah, I mean, so Danny DeVito is only a part of that like song. A, He's not singing the, the whole Henry song. Higgins character. Oh my, my fair God, lady who only Frosty ever has talk singing. The Snowman, Rankin Bass. Because I was just thinking about this because we're uh, recording this not too long after Christmas. And so I was watching in the uh, Rankin Bass Frosty the Snowman, and I got to thinking about uh, Jimmy Durante. Jesus Christ, I'm losing my goddamn mind. Um, it's not like he sings, but he has song songs where he. Like, you could have done the same thing with James Ward, yeah, I guess. Pattern, right? He could have just been talking over his. No, nope, I I, I'm that, guessing but... the runtime was like, pretty close as it is. Yeah, that's true, too. And a movie that kind of seems like it's filled with a lot of filler, though. You think it could have killed some time with the movie? Yeah, you know, it kind of works to have him be a, a constant spoiler. It is funny though, because he's such he's so. I, I don't know. Is 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 he Ted really kind of known as one of the better Disney villains, or is that just like us? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, Lindsay Ellis seems to think he's a I great Disney. I don't villain. know what to tell you. Is it only folks with taste who thinks he's? I mean, I mean again, he's a little bit tarnished now because he's a Republican crazy man. Sure. But... Well, but you know, again, he's a Disney villain. He's actually a Disney villain. Um, no, there are a lot of gifts. Hades gets a lot of gifts. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a good, that's good, that's a good contemporary measurement of villain success yeah. is how many gifts are there of you, and he has a lot of great gags. He has mo- like most of the my best. My hair went out. Yeah. I, whoa, is my hair? Uh, one of the best uh, clearly one of the best roles in the movie and most of the memorable lines are his so it you know again he doesn't really need a number to juice up the part because he's already stealing every scene he's in sometimes almost literally because he always pops in as a spoiler yeah that's true too yeah hmm what a weird movie it is a very strange movie i 
I am always happy to watch it. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, you actually liked it better than I thought. Than, than I remember you even saying. Because I mean, you've you, like yeah, you've you've always been warm to that movie, but I didn't realize you actually. I'm very like, fond actually, of it. Yeah, I didn't realize you were actually that fond of it. I think it. Um, part of why I I maintain just fondness for it is number one, there isn't really enough depth to it for you to like sink your teeth into. Like, it's a hard movie to really build a fandom around. It's a like fluffy it, movie. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take itself seriously enough for well, like a, for a the, fandom level of self-projection to exist like the world doesn't isn't hold up enough on well, its own this kind of goes back to what you're talking about how the world whole world is built into the the um robin williams aladdin kind of like cheekiness to its yeah the whole thing is a vegas floor show is like aladdin again had you know had the genie running around it but because that sense of humor and that whole attitude was limited to the genie. They still had a like a world with some kind of sincerity that they could build out of, and like they had a whole Latin TV series and multiple like uh, straight to video uh, movie sequels and stuff like that. They mm-hmm. had an actual world. Well, I mean, there, there was there was a Hercules TV show. Yeah, which even then, but like it only I guess only takes place during the training montage because there's nowhere else in the world that could well, make sense. It's not the training of... montage. It's or when, something like that. It's when he's he's got his year in Thebes of beating up monsters. <laughs> but and, but it makes sense to put it before the end of the movie because then you're not losing all the narrative tension. Yeah, and you lose some of the character. Like it's it's the end of that movie is not a very interesting interesting place. Well, to tell I mean, Tangled has a TV show, and they also position it like. Oh, they bef- do like they actually do make a thing out of it because like Rapunzel suddenly. Got got her hair back and it's a whole thing and like i guess miss gothel uh mama gothel's back and it's it feels feels more like an actual sequel it's not just like oh how do we just keep on telling the same story again on tv yeah it, it, i think it makes sense to wedge it time wise and then the movie gives them enough room to actually do that in no, exactly yeah. i remember catching a few episodes of the tv show and Pretty the good. writing was really funny like it's actually an, an ideal property to is it more of a comedy show than like an adventure show uh, both Okay. Pretty much, much, I guess it's dis- all Disney Pretty TV much shows. But like, like that, I yeah. remember some really good lines from it. Like at one point, uh, Hades is like, "Oh, this whole place is going to, but well, to here," and you're like, "No!" <laughs> oh, that's uh, like, what you do, they yeah. made a joke about hell on a children's TV show. Watch out, guys! Uh, what was the fetish quotient on that TV show? What do you mean? Uh, did it have a gadget racket wrench? Or, like, no. Jasmine turning into a snake. It seems like no. there's so many fetishes online I see that no. everyone's like, I, I got this fetish from watching the gummy bears. No. I'm like, oh, my God, what? Not, like, oh my not God. that I know of. Disney I Afternoon, mean, man, giving popping boners all over the place to children all of America. Wow. No, I don't I don't know of uh, anything. I mean, uh, I think Meg has a huge popularity yeah! with uh, with the Internet's bisexuals. Uh, bisexuals, specifically, huh? Yeah, specifically. Okay. Yeah, she is kind of a tough lady. It's not like, you know, yeah. I could see She's that. She's got some sass. She's a 40s. Name. She's got yeah. She's got some. I would say she's almost she's a mix of 30s and 40s Hollywood because yeah, exactly, she's yeah. she's got kind of got a Mae West Rosalind Russell sort of thing going on. See, yeah, you're the kind of person who knows exact. You're not just gonna make a vague like, oh, it's like the 40s. You know exactly who what references they're drawing from for that character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know if we have a hell of a lot more to say about this movie because it is such a light and fluffy trifle of a flick. Yeah, but if you missed bad. if you missed it, it really it, it's worth watching because it's got great energy. Energy. Uh, there's tons of visual food to stare at. Like I did a lot of freeze framing of the VHS yeah. to catch all of the ways that they did designs for the Greek pantheon because mm-hmm. I'm a huge nerd well, for the Greek especially pantheon. Especially Athena, you're a big fan of Athena and stuff like that. But they have most of the basic pantheon in there, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's fun to see the their very cartoony interpretations of them. Uh, it, it kind of felt like as a as a as a fan of Greek mythology, <laughs> the original fandom man. I guess that's better than saying like I'm a scholastic of. Uh, 
blah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but, uh, like, as, as a nerd for that stuff, I and a lot of other little mythology nerd leaks are like, well, back there you can see uh, the god of the forge. Well, you were just making... Oh, Hephaestus. Well, I was like, oh, it's nice to meet Dionysus, like a fat, bald guy. And you're like, no, that's not really how we're supposed to be. Supposed to be like this. And I was like, whoa, okay, they yeah. They do a nice... Uh, I really like that Ares is kind of black-coated, yeah. uh, but is also just a totally, obviously into himself dude which is very accurate to the greek the traditional yeah. greek depiction of Ares is this seems like they had head. a good time designing all the other gods it, it seems i'm guessing that a lot of character designers really enjoyed themselves on this movie because they got to they got to mix and match a lot of nutrients that didn't often turn up well especially because the gods really don't have that much to do they don't even really have to move that much yeah you could make them they don't have unanimatable to... <laughs> designs for the most part and that that's why like athena works so well even though like there's some i swear to god they're working off some kind of basic some kind of actress in mind because her profile is so specific where she's got like this forehead hanging over and just like stuff like that where, uh, like, i mean that's... there's some kind of specific thing there i don't know if they're like, it's a reference a to greek statuary I know, but that too, but, like, they must have been, like, looking to, like, Olivia de Havilland or something like that, you know, like, something like, sure. but, like, they could afford to have all the characters kind of, like, just facing off in one direction so they could do, like, a really crazy Greek profile and... Yeah. yeah, again, if you weren't one of the animators and you just got to set a lot of the look for this movie using Greek vases, Gerald's scarf, and the principles of animation, I'm guessing it was pretty fun. Too bad it wasn't as much fun for the audience. I'm guessing, oh, but I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. I'm guessing, uh, just in terms of sheer like design interest, it was a more fun movie to work on than as a designer than say Hunchback of Notre Dame or Milan. Yeah. So it, if you're at all interested in traditional animation and design, you- it's a great movie to to just watch and pick apart. Even though it doesn't quite gel, there are a lot of cool attempts at things. Do you think this is like the turning point for '90s Disney's '90s Renaissance? Because I guess Hunchback was the first real blow that, like, they they weren't golden gods. They could, they, like, they could screw up. But yeah. But this is them kind of, re- I, I think it's the same guys who did Aladdin who would end up doing Moana. Did I pronounce that correctly? Moana yes, later. Yes, it's not Moana. Yeah, so it's not even like they let, like, a new team kind of accidentally ride this off the road a little bit. It was an experienced team that had done hits. I, yeah, I think it's, well, if that's Aladdin guys, the, aren't those the same guys who did The Little Mermaid too? Anyway, but like, this shows that like Disney's at the height of its powers back in its wheelhouse because, you know, they, they extended themselves a little bit with Hunchback. But this is them back doing like, we're going to do bright cartoony and then they still uh, fucked it up. So I think the, I, I think Hunchback kind of, it was a movie that got really good critical reviews. Yeah. Like most of its reviews were in the A minus range, which I think shows that a lot of critics kind of got that Disney was trying to make some art. Yeah. And you know, there's some gargoyles kind of awkwardly stuffed in there for the for for the childrens. But on the also, whole, also Frollo's like, the kind of character I could see like the reviewers going, hmm, "This is actually kind of cool character." Yeah, like it's a, a plus. It's a it's a really weird movie. I have no idea how Hunchback got made. It's uh, schizophrenic, it's, yeah. But like they had uh, an animation studio in Paris. They had their studio in Florida and California. So they were kind of at their like commercial peak. I think their their pockets were the most full and yeah. CG as the like the default for feature animation hadn't taken over yet and i th- i think like hercules got very middling reviews like most of its reviews well, were like, in this the, is the first time where it was actually like, like blood in the water where it's C like plus range yeah i think it did commercially pretty okay but I'm sure it made its money back um 
Mulan did a lot better than Hercules did oh, okay. in pretty much every respect. I want to make a joke about how they had to close down the Greek Disney Animation Studio because they were just drawing on tablets that were going too slow. It's too slow. It's really hard. Anyway. To, it's really hard to shoot from these vases. That's the quality of joke that would have been in this film, where it's like you can totally see it. Like, okay, guys, just make the joke. We get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, we were talking. Oh, well, we were we were talking about Loving Vincent, which is a film that came out this year about Vincent Van Gogh. Oh yeah, we just, which uh... is literally hand oil painted every frame. You said that's actual oil paint. That's not like a digital oil. No, painting, it's but... literally they oh, they had uh, painters pay their own way to come audition to paint to oil paint. A rotoscope uh, every single frame of the movie. I never even heard about this movie. We saw uh, we saw a video right before we started watching Hercules, yeah, like where an, someone had this on their it's top like an ten hour list. long and like one hundred and sixty-five. Oh, thank God, it's only an hour long. One hundred and sixty-five thousand oil paintings. <sighs> oh so uh, you know, tra- traditional animation was on its way out at this point, and you can. Well, this is just more what, like, and more elements are starting to this be. This is two CG years animated. after Toy Story, and this is probably right around the time like A Bug's Life came out. So this is right when like things started getting choppy for two D animation, but like, no, right, I, or at least right before. I really think that Mulan was the last big gasp of '90s Disney traditional yeah, so animation. Hunchback, this Mulan, and like mm-hmm. Tarzan. Tarzan was... And man, Tarzan, that, like, not... I don't know how much money that made, but that was one, like, I wasn't even paying attention, everyone was like, fuck Tarzan. Yeah. Except for the people who thought the lady in that was Fantasia hot. 2000 came out, and there was a, and you can kind of tell that that was Disney trying to integrate its traditional and CG departments to yeah. be like, hey, Where it's like, we're gonna have a CG uh, toy uh, nutcracker thing, and then we're also gonna have CGI whales, but then also traditional... Yeah, you could tell there was, there was a lot of impetus to brush up their tech skills, <laughs> yeah. to compete in the new marketplace and yeah having fantasia the fact that fantasia 2000 and tarzan came out in the same year oh really in 99 you're kind of like hmm that's kind of it that's i think the writing was on the wall and i I think that's around that's not too long after they started shutting down animation studios like i remember when they shut down the florida animation studio like the like animation desks were going on ebay which I, I know people ne- even now are like, that's a legendary time where you can just, like, go on eBay. And, like, there were enough of them that you could probably get one at a decent price. You know, as much as you didn't... If you were down with paying, like, $1,000 in shipping for have that desk shipped to you from across the United States. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and I was, I was just finishing up high school around then yeah. and was a huge animation fan. And it was becoming increasingly obvious that traditional animation, 2D animation, was not going to be around the same way it had been up till then and i, I knew, thought it was gonna die but... i knew people who were coming out of traditional animation college programs at that time <sighs> and all of them either ended up um in storyboarding which is still hand yeah, oh, yeah. but is not final animation or they ended up doing um work for tv again often in storyboarding because to cut costs they ship animation out overseas or they ended up in 3d yeah. and they're you know functionally doing puppetry or they're doing you know something something that's not directly applied art final line art yeah. for screen well, that's the thing as there was a big boom of the cgi stuff but that meant they still needed fine they, they still needed animators so they, they had, had to retain, take traditionally trained animators even if they're brand new like essentially off the cal, cal arts factory line and say hey 
we're gonna get you like yeah, yeah. in some kind of part of the process but being able to draw is projects. no longer an essential part of being an animator i think it really really yeah i know which is kind of really, crazy to think it really about. helps because yeah. it enables you to know when something looks right or wrong well, or just to you knock down an idea and like sketch yeah in a story bird sketch or something like that but just again, say, hey, his face should look more like this not like that it's much it yeah. is still much easier now though to have board artists who are really well trained like classically trained uh, artists and then have people who are functionally puppeteers oh, be working yeah. in the actual animation. It's killing me because I can see people now, even now, who are like people I've seen where they've been trained in classical Disney traditional animation trying to get into the CGI stuff. And you can see them t trying to teach themselves how to draw like Anna and Elsa, where it's like that stock CGI lady design, where it's all the fe facial yeah, features giant are squashed eyeballs, down. Tiny point nose. Yeah, and it's like, oh man, this is. I mean, I know you have to like. That's how you have to learn how to like storyboard mm -hmm. women for these features. But there's so much more design but it's like, conformity. Oh my, that's and you can see the conformity happening with someone in their, their like a sketch output uh, output on Twitter or something like that. That's oh man, there like I, I see why it's this is happening, but it's Pixar a little bit of heartbreaker. Yeah, Pixar face, and it's like uh, oh yeah, and that, that's one of the reasons why I still really love watching a movie like Hercules because even though it's a freaking hot mess, I can look at it and go, look, people are drawn all different. Yeah. It's not it's not the house style like they could actually yeah. really have a different take on the style from movie to movie as opposed to just oh what kind of lighting are we going to render Although this even with? in 2D animation that like there was always house styles like um I guess the new the first feature film from the studio Japanese animation studio that's essentially comprised of uh, a lot of the Studio Ghibli animators who left after the the Wind of Rises shut down, and mm -hmm. Studio Ghibli kind of went into that phase where they're no longer in active production, but they're not closing the studio, but they're not making anything. Mm -hmm. So essentially, everyone went across the street and decided, okay, we're gonna form our new new studio. And I guess that that first movie is coming out here in the states next month. And uh, my my buddy slash housemate Jojo, he saw a trailer for that, and he was like, that looks gorgeous, but it looks like Miyazaki designed and drew the whole thing. Because that's how those animators learned. So, I mean, and that's a hand-drawn film. Like, in yeah. a way, though, I also understand that's, that that's because not... it, you have to get a feature out as quickly as possible in order yeah. to start bringing in revenue so you're not just burning cash. And it, rather than reinvent the wheel, just saying, okay, we all know how to do this thing, so we're going to do... Uh, you know, we're just if, gonna do what we've been if, trying to. As if we're to. making yeah, exactly, a B yeah. feature that Mr. Miyazaki doesn't have a lot of hands on, yeah. but let's just run with that, and then we can branch out later. But like. But it's just funny to see JoJo come out of that trailer and go, "What the fuck!" Like you, you've, you've had a chance to really do your own thing, and you're just making that look something that like, looks exactly not even a Studio Ghibli film, yeah. but specifically a Miyazaki film. It just like, it feels like it's on, harder now to do something that genuinely looks different. The way that her well, also from a marketing perspective, the way that too, Hercules look looks totally different. Hercules looks fucking crazy again. Yeah. I like I said, I think it is kind of an ugly art style objectively, especially if you're not someone who cares about like art history or like you're just looking at it. It's like, why does everyone just look weird in this movie? Why yeah. has everyone got, like, weird armpits and shit? Whereas like, if, if you're me, you're going, I get all the references! Exactly, yeah. I love it! Oh my but, god. But, I mean, but... it looks totally different from Hunchback or from Mulan. It doesn't It, yeah. it doesn't look the same. And I miss that fact. Yeah. Because with, with computer animation, so much of it is based on the engine and on what's renderable what in the engine. What you can smush into different forms. Yeah, and yeah. What, what works to rotate, what computers have trouble rendering. And uh, when, you're, when the engine you're working off of is okay we have 200 artists and together we have to do something similar enough to each other that we can all animate each other's work yeah that gives you a lot more room to play and you can take you can remove bits of characters for a single shot or you know fluff a rotation in order to have yeah like, you can keep fudge that things. style just, present just, yeah 
you know, there there are compromises, but they're not they're not like compromises of conformity on the same level as a lot of CG is. So for me, a lot of the most interesting looking animation right now is traditionally animated stuff like Book of Kells that has, I think it has some CG elements, but they're really... Well, I would, I'm sure those productions are actually, like, they're hand-drawn, but they're probably drawn on a Cintiq. Oh, yeah. So it's ten, technically it's all computer-generated. Yeah, but, but you like, know, my point is that they're yeah, not yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not made of math. Exactly, <laughs> There's yeah. not a 3D model anywhere. Um, or if they're... If, there's, if there is, but... If there's there, CG, it's... it's in service of a hand-drawn look as opposed to, yeah. like, the technical versatility. Or it's stuff that's actually, like, claymation, like the work coming out of Leica. So oh, it's, yeah. you know, Coraline or Kubo. And they it, still haven't announced what they're doing. And, the, like, the fucking Kubo came out over a year and a half ago. Yeah, kind of freaking it, me out a little bit. Um, Just the... The, the it feels like a lot of the in, the visual interest has shifted to smaller studio productions where they can yeah they can because they're only doing you know one feature every three years they can invest a little more time into creating a unique look for it yeah cool because it's not part of a pipeline where you're just trying to knock this stuff out yeah yeah and i mean obviously pixar does a whole bunch of visual visually well, they diverse do mess around stuff, with it, but, but it's still there's still there's still some disappointments for me in uh in what is possible yeah. with the the tools they're given you do have a parka that says fuck the last dinosaur fuck the good dinosaur on the back i can't even fuck that. i fucked up that joke no yeah <laughs> it, mm. did you see there's a like exhibit out the at the portland uh airport right now uh-huh. Did you see Kaibo, Ka, Kaibo, Kaibo Kubo, Kubo, Kubo and the Two Strings? No. They have like this giant skeleton puppet that's supposed yeah. to be the biggest articulated puppet ever made for stop motion animation. I mean, they also have the, they have a full museum exhibit at the the Portland Art Museum. Oh, maybe that's one. So if, if you're in the, <laughs> there might be a, some promo stuff. So it's the only the good airport. thing that's ever been in a Portland museum, is what you're saying? Because no, our museums are notoriously terrible because uh, no yeah, rich been... people have died in. We have okay museums, been some really but for good like stuff. a cultural mecca. I'm just saying, Builders Portland remember Art I... Museum is the Hercules of art museums where it's like, okay, could have been better. <laughs> Do you remember how I took you to that entire exhibit Japanese on Japanese thing? floating was, world? It was, art. it was just because that was a traveling exhibit. It was like a permanent thing. The, like the other permanent Most stuff. Most museums ex- have traveling exhibits, Phil. I hate your face. <laughs> anyway, what Hercules. Uh, yeah, go ahead and watch Hercules if you haven't. Or, or, or if it's been a while. Or watch Lindsay Ellis's amazing dissection yeah. of it. She's really, really thoughtful about it. She's, As far as I'm concerned, she's the only person who's writing like Disney traditional animation criticism that's worth and, spending yeah. time I mean, on. I'm sure there's other people who are like, making videos and stuff like that. Hers but are the best, though. She's just... She's this tired old lonely drunk lady just in a corner she's like she's no, that's how she posits herself <laughs> like she's like well, I, well she's like 10 years younger than me she's younger than you are yeah. i think and she posits herself yeah, as like i'm this age. old lady no, no she, she's got a wonderfully grumpy but also very invested but in, invested in loving attitudes so she's not gonna be like look at this dumb stuff for babies nor is she somebody yeah, she's who's like too cool this is the height of genius of all time because yeah. Uh, that one, Glenn Keane sneezed on this frame, so it's, you know, yeah. sheer gold, and I guess they forgot to write the movie, but who cares, because the, dr- the tigers are so pretty. Yeah. No, she doesn't do either of those things, so it's really... And she's perfectly aware of how horrible Disney is, and just as a little cultural monopoly, as just uh, the animation I, business. Just I like, feel that uh, yeah. she's... She's the Lorax. She speaks for the trees. Oh, wow. And, and, that's that's and I am, even better and worse than what and, I said. And I am one of the trees in this case. Yeah. She speaks She speaks for me. 
So do I dare tweet her about this episode? And say, hey, my I call you old grumpy and alcoholic. My friend called you the Lorax. I don't think they... that will get a very good response, Bill. I know, but yeah, Lindsay Ellis, just like anything on her video, but she's done a bill bazillion Disney videos and stuff like that, and she's just yeah, just one of the smartest people on YouTube right now. Yeah. And the way YouTube's going, that's probably not going to last for too long because <laughs> that they're doing their damnedest to shake anyone worth a damn off that thing between that and Patreon these days, but. But yeah, Hercules, or if you're a big fan of, was it the Nutty Professor, where they go, Hercules, Hercules, Herc, wait. There's you are just they... stepping on all of your own jokes. <laughs> there's a thing where they did it to her, Hercules, Hercules. Congratulations, Daniel. <laughs> this is what Daniel has to put up with every week. Although, at least you kind of roll with the punches where Daniel just kind of sighs and goes, <sighs> so yeah, it makes me. I'm there's, glad he has something new to sigh over. There's a little more of a sad Laurel and Hardy and thing going on with that. And that it's a healthy baby. Congratulations, baby. Daniel. Yeah. Who so, put the glad in Gladiator? Hercules. Daniel's baby. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I wish you'd give him a little Hercules uh, little thing on his neck. So if he gets lost, everyone will know to call him by the correct name so there's no confusion mid-film about what his name's supposed to be. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just saying. Anyway. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay, so yeah, this this has been uh, this week's episode of Tardy the Party. Um, yeah, all props to Dylan McConus from DylanMcConus.com. Do uh, you have anything else to plug or anything like that? Just do your website, Twitter. Yep, I'm, I'm on and Twitter as McConus, the only one. Um, yeah, you got nothing else. You got a book coming out next, is it next year? I've got a few books coming out next year. You got a few books? What else did you do? Uh, uh, you're going to have to wait and Your see. big book is announced. People know about it, right? Yes. Oh, okay, Queen of the Sea. Queen of the Sea is the big one, but it's going to be, it's going to take a little while to come out. And then I'll have a 10-issue comic series that will be announced this spring. Really? That has not been an... I know what it is. That's not been announced yet? Like, nope. is it... Oh, okay. No, the... Uh, Oni keeps its cards close to the vest, so Okay, but be... you can tell people it's from Oni, yeah. yeah. it'll be announced early spring, and then it should be <sighs> out in the summer. I can't believe they gave you the keys to Scott Pilgrim. That is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Dylan McConus, I'm sure this is not the last time she'll be on this podcast. Uh, so... But yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, <laughs> I... Hopefully there will be another episode next week uh, because I am doing the insane thing of trying to watch all 42 at 43 episodes of the first season of Mobile Suit Gundam 1979 in time for next week's show because Daniel's still going to be out of commission next week because he got baby. Uh, I'm hoping to have my buddy who I mentioned earlier, Joshin Yamada, uh, who is a diehard uh, Mobile Suit Gundam fan. He may be on the show. We'll talk about that. So... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I can... At least I know what I'm doing for the next week. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. And Dylan, you got nothing else to say? That's it? You're just nope. checking your email? Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. I just want to... I'm good. And this is a, this is a little peek into how Dylan and Bill just kind of shoot the shit all the time. Maybe not quite this... Professorial, like... What's more like... But yeah. That's a little slice of Dylan and Bill for this week. Okay. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Mike's aren't going to pick this up, but Dylan's dog is dead the fuck asleep. It's snoring. It's so cute. <laughs> Love you guys.